Our scripture this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 40. Uh, you can follow along in your own uh, copy, but if you don't have one, uh, you can look in front of you or if you're in the chairs below you and just find the blue copy of the Bible. You'll find that on page 599, and we'll continue on to page 600. So we'll read the first 11 verses of Isaiah chapter 40. Hear the word of the Lord. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low and uneven ground shall become level. And the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see together, see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry, and I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms, and he will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. This is God's word. Today we start a series on Isaiah 40 through 55. Uh, This is uh, one of the richest sections in all the Word of God. Uh, Isaiah has been called the Romans of the Old Testament, Romans being this Rich, one of the richest places for theology in the New Testament, and Isaiah has been called that of the old. And certainly these are some of the central chapters of Isaiah that bring forth this wonderful teaching of God and his beauty and glory. So we're excited to get to do this all the way through uh, Christmas time or until we get to Christmas to, to Advent. Um, so let us pray. <clears throat> Lord, uh, we. We're astonished that you would come to us and manifest your glory to us, that you would take us to yourself and be our faithful shepherd and that forever, demonstrating your incredible love by dying in our place. Oh, Lord, indeed, you are the good shepherd. Teach us this morning by your Holy Spirit. Draw us after your word that we ourselves will be comforted in it. For the glory of Jesus, amen. Friday we were with our two uh, grandsons in downtown Fort Worth at the fountains there. Some of you maybe have been down there. And we had taken them down there to play in the water. You know, it sprays up and you're running through it and it's just incredible. I wish I was a kid. You know, I'd look pretty ridiculous in my bathing suit running around uh, there. But it was interesting because 
Cohen, the youngest one, his two, was all the way across on the other side from where we were and bumped his head on a table. And he kind of knew the routine. He bumped his head and then starts the little boy trot, you know, all the way back over to where we were. And <clears throat> part of the way, I mean, he was holding his head part of the way, and then part of the way he was just walking. I think it probably didn't hurt that much, you know. <laughs> and then as he was getting closer to Kay, they call her Kiki, you know, the hand went back up. We had to rehearse how bad it was. And she, he was not going to miss the tender kisses, the sweet words, and the embrace of his grandmother. You know, that was just not going to happen. Once the bump happens, you know what you're going to go for. <laughs> you're going for comfort, you know. If you have to trot all the way across Fort Worth to find Kiki, you're going to find her, and you're going to get that comfort. And we all know what that is, <clears throat> to be comforted by a mother or father or brother or sister or dear friend, uh, <clears throat> comforted in some of the most terrible things that we've gone through, how critical it is to have uh, the embrace and the words, uh, the tender love of someone to comfort us. Well, this word that begins <clears throat> this passage uh, is a very common everyday word in Hebrew. Uh, for instance, when Isaac's mother died, it says that he was comforted by his wife, Rebekah. This is the word. And the word, these words are startling in their context because in chapter 39, Isaiah has announced to King Hezekiah that his sons and everything that he has will be carried away to Babylon. That's the end note in chapter 39. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, Comfort, comfort my people. Repeated to, for the emotional intensity of it. Like taking somebody and stopping them to say, no, no, stop. No, stop. That's the feel of this passage, to bring comfort to his people. This actually sets the tone for the whole rest of the book. And as John Oswell writes, if dramatic effect is desired, the opening words of this verse can hardly be surpassed. Without any transition or preparation, the repeated imperatives strike the ear with sudden poignancy. So back in chapter 6, God had commissioned Isaiah with a message of judgment and exile. Here he commissions Isaiah with a message of hope to those who have been judged and who are in exile. And this message of hope ranges throughout the rest of Isaiah to the end. So we're going to treat comfort as like the umbrella concept over all else that is here. <clears throat> In other words, all, every word of this passage you can file under comfort, right? <clears throat> but it's, it's as though each, after the announcement of comfort and the announcement of restoration... There is a kind of challenge, like, how, how could this be? How could this happen? Well, a voice cries out, verse 3. The glory of God himself is going to be here. That's how you can bank on it. He is going to be present to do it. So, in the first place, there's the coming of God's glory. And then still, there's the question, but how could he do this when we're under the thumb of Babylon? A voice says, again, cry out. Literally, it reads, 
yell. I like that from Alabama. Um, it says, a voice says, yell. And I said, what shall I yell? <laughs> That's one translation, actually. So in the second place, then, it's the, first, it's the coming of God, the, the glory of God, then the firmness of the word of God. And then finally, the coming of the power and compassion of God. Again, there's the announcement. Get up on a high mountain. Cry out. Lift up your voice. Say to them, behold your God. So in each case, it's tell them, tell them, tell them. It gets more and more intense that they not make any mistake about what is coming down. So first, he begins with this grand word of comfort. And God is actually called the God of all comfort. It's his self-appointed title. It's his own nickname. So it reveals him. It defines him. It shows you what you can expect of him, who he is, and what he will do for you. And notice how in in verse 2, and if you have your Bibles open, it can really help there on page 599, if you're using a pew Bible. As he says there, speak tenderly to Jerusalem, literally speak to her heart, or speak upon the heart. This means that the words of comfort would fall like gentle rain upon her heart, and she would be soothed by it. And it also has the idea of persuading her of my love. Speak to her heart. Persuade her of these things. And the fact that he calls Jerusalem her is a wonderful sign. It's like, I'm owning you as my bride again. You who have been unfaithful to me, tell her that I am speaking this comfort to her. He says there that... Her warfare has ended. This uh, means a time of service, a time of hard service, of burdensome work, military service. And he says her iniquity, though, is pardoned. This is taken from the sacrificial system, uh, that kind of language. And it's kind of mysterious. Like, how is their iniquity pardoned? We find out later in Isaiah 53 when we read of the suffering servant. Bottom line is, this is not an atonement that Israel has made by being in exile. It's an atonement that God brings about, that God accomplishes. And certainly this is the basic message of the New Testament, that as we announce to all people, that your warfare has ended. Your warfare is over. And in our context... In, in keeping with Christ and his accomplishment on the cross, we would say that your hard period of service under the guilt of sin and judgment is over. Your hard service of sin owning your heart is over. The hard service of alienation from God, of hopelessness and despair is over. It's ended. It's done with. And isn't it wonderful that the ultimate fulfillment of this message will be when God says in the final day, as he ushers in the new heavens and the new earth, all of your warfare is ended. (laughs) It's done. There will be no more misery, no more tears, no more struggle with sin, no more relational brokenness, no more disease, no more death. 
it's ended. So this is a message that really governs for his people all of history and the final day itself. Well, under then this canopy of of comfort, we have then first the uh, coming of God's glory, coming of the glory of God in verses 3 through 5. The question is, how could this happen that we would be restored? How can it happen that uh, our warfare could be ended and our exile is ended? Well, the only way it could happen is that God is intervening. And particularly, as it says in verse 5, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. This means that God in the fullness of, of his goodness and his greatness will be on the scene to take action for you. God in all of his fullness, in his goodness and his greatness, in all of his character and all of his, his strength will act on your behalf. He will be on the scene. And notice that he comes out of the wilderness just like the Psalms say he came out uh, of the wilderness to deliver his people in Egypt. It says that he went through the desert to deliver her so that Sinai is kind of like his hideout, right? His like mountain throne retreat from which he launches his blazing attack sweeping across the desert to lay waste to Egypt. Psalm 68 talks about him being the one who rides through the desert. And so in the metaphors of Scripture, the barren and dry, lifeless desert had been now the place where God spoke his life-giving law and covenant to his people. This lifeless desert has been the place of his life-sustaining work with manna and water. This lifeless desert was the place from which his life-saving deliverance has come. And so God has transformed the meaning of desert and wilderness, as he does for us as well. And so if you're a psychologist and you're doing a little uh, mental uh, test for a believing Israelite, you know, his mental stability, and you're going to do a word association game, and you say, okay, I'm going to give you a word, you tell me what first thing comes to mind. Okay, all right, got it. Desert. Provision. <laughs> no, well, look, obviously this kid's uh, messed up. Uh, let, me, let me try it again. Wilderness. Abundance. <clears throat> one more, one more. Okay. Wasteland. Salvation. <laughs> In other words, these things had been completely lost in terms of their association because God is the one who brings Uh, verdure and and abundance in the midst of of the desert. But you see, this wilderness way is uh, said to, that that there has to be this way made in the desert for this coming king. This is the metaphor of a king coming. And the voice is like the outrider who's announcing, make the way for the king, make the way for the king. But here in his sovereignty, Because it says in verse 4, every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill will be made low. It's as though God in his glorious presence just flattens everything. Nothing's going to stand in his way. There's no obstacle. He is coming. He is coming through the desert. And it will be made. And he will show up. And nothing will stop him from coming. And it's wonderful that his glory 
is showing up. Because we read in Ezekiel, at the time of the exile, the sad exit of the glory of God from the temple. There's quite a long description of the leaving of the glory of God from the temple. And there's the picture that he's gone. He's removed his favor. Israel has committed adultery repeatedly through her idolatry. And now he's abandoned her and he's turning his back upon her. He's casting her away. She's now left exposed and unprotected and destitute, helpless. But now his glory is back. That's the feel here. The glory is back. Now, in the oftentimes cheesy movie Armageddon, okay, Ben Affleck's character, A.J., is assumed to be dead when the ship, his ship doesn't make it to the rendezvous point on the asteroid. But last minute, he saves the day, and he shows up in uh, their little pod that, that's traveling, and uh, when that happens there on the asteroid that's coming to destroy the earth, uh, one of the technicians goes to his girlfriend, played by Liv Tyler, and I love how he puts it as he's trying to tell her that he's back. He says, hey, your boyfriend's back. (laughs) Remember the Angels 1963, some of these older people, you can check with them and they'll tell you about that. Um, So here you see it's a voice saying to Israel, not your boyfriend's back. But it's saying, your gracious and great and glorious husband whom you rejected is back. And he wants you back. He wants you back. He has come to rescue you. Amazing words that are said here to prepare this way. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. And this passage is quoted most fully in Luke 3, describing the ministry of of John the Baptist. In fact, all the Gospels describe John's ministry with this passage. So it's obvious that the New Testament writers saw John as the great sign that this day of the appearing of God's glory had come, right? The appearing of God's glory had come in the person of Jesus Christ, in the appearance of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And so, John can say in his first chapter that the one who created the world, the one who was with God, the one who was God, has come in the flesh. He became flesh, John says. He lived among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father. And Christ himself pointed even further to his own glory as it was associated with his crucifixion. Saying in chapter 12, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Amazing that he could speak of the crucifixion as being glorified. And then later in chapter 13, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. This is how God is glorified, in showing himself to be the one who spends himself lavishly for sinners. That is who God is. And that's why this is so ultimately comforting to us, that when the glory of God shows up in the person of Christ, 
we're dumbfounded. This glory means the glory of a God who would humble himself to suffer in our place. Comfort, comfort my people. My glory will show up. And it will be like nothing you could have ever imagined. And it says here that all flesh shall see it together. This may have meant that both Gentiles and Jews will see it. It certainly, as it's worked out in history, means that more and more of the world will see it so that people from every tribe and tongue and nation, we're told in Revelation 7, will give glory to this God, glory to this Lamb. And those are believers, but we're told that every knee shall bow in Philippians 2 and confess that Jesus is Lord. Yes, all flesh shall see it together and honor him and glorify him. So this is the glory of God, uh, the, the coming of the glory of God. And I just want to encourage you to search out his glory in the word of God. Admire it, adore it, and realize in a sense, what you're looking for. You're looking for beauty, the beauty of his character that bursts forth in the word of God, the beauty of his greatness and his goodness that, that comes out of all places in the word. We have enjoyed many sunsets at uh, my uh, son-in-law and daughter's place in Jacksboro. There's a bluff there, and we watched the uh, sunset there, and it's, it's amazing when you've got just the right number of clouds and you, you start with, you know, yellows and golds and ambers and then there starts becoming streaks of pink that uh, thickens into rose and crimson and then it gets into dark reds and magenta and, I mean, it's just glorious. You could say, that's the glory of the sunrise. And brothers and sisters, there's in that sense a sunrise waiting for you startling beauty of God waiting for you in his word. What else is the word for if not to unleash to us this glory and beauty of God so that you and I can feast on this God and see him? This is the discovery channel. This is the glass bottom boat where you see the depths of his glory and majesty. Go there. Go there. Feast upon his glory. His glory has come. Let us not ignore it. Well, we see the, the coming of his, of his glory, the, also then the firmness of his word. The, the coming of his glory and the, 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 the firmness of his word or of God's word. Um, people, even after saying God's going to show up in his glory, it's like, well, yeah, but still, look at who's, who defeated Jerusalem, look whose thumb we're under, Babylon. How in the world could this happen? And so how appropriate that this word comes and says, yeah, Babylon, the king of Babylon, all the powers of the earth, here's what they are. They're grass. That's all they are. They're transient, helpless grass that is just withers and fades away. It is God's word that is sovereign, not the mighty powers. 
And this is picked up even from verse, at the end of verse 5. The mouth of the Lord has spoken it. That's the end of the matter. Nothing, no one, no peoples, no king of Babylon or anywhere else can stop God's word. That word will stand forever. And even because the people themselves, as it says, and this probably refers to Israel, the people are grass. It means nothing can stop him from saving you, and you can't even help him to save you. You're grass as well. You're helpless. You can't hinder his work. You can't assist his work. He's going to come in his mighty glory and rescue you because the people are grass, and his word stands, and his word will Uh, his promise will be fulfilled. There's even this idea uh, when he says that the the beauty is like the flower of the field. It was when the breath of the Lord blows on it. That word breath is the Hebrew word for wind and spirit. And the same spirit that created the world by just his spirit blowing on them. It's over. That's that's God versus the powers. He just blows and they wither. Nothing's going to stand in his way of bringing about his promise. And that shows also our only hope for permanence is to depend upon this word. Our only hope for uh, life is, is this word of God that will stand forever. It is critical for our lives. It is the Word of God. It is a relationship, you see. That's why it's so precious. We have a relationship to to this God. And it says, the Word of our God. The Word of our God who is so gracious to give His Son for us. The Word of our God who knows us and loves us. It's as reliable as He is. It's His Word. And as Jesus says, it is critical to your life. He warns us in Matthew 7 that if you don't build your life on the bedrock of my word, it will ultimately be destroyed. This is not optional. We were climbing Mount Lacan years ago when I was in college. And, uh, well, not climbing, never climbed anything, but we were walking up Mount Lacan. And you get to certain parts of it where the, the, the path is like this narrow. And on one side is a thousand foot drop off. But there's a cable there that makes all the difference in the world. And I'm telling you, there's not one of us would not hold on to that cable walking in a foot or foot and a half path on the side of a mountain. And I want to tell you, the word of God is the cable that he puts in your hand. It's there for you. You got to take the cable. Don't ignore it. Don't don't think there's this, this is a light thing. It's like uh, God says in uh, Deuteronomy thirty two forty seven. He says this is not a casual matter. This is your life. This is your life. Take hold of the cable. That's really the way you take hold of Him. That's the way you. Uh, have relationship with him. You can have no more relationship with God than you have knowledge of him in his word. Who is the God that you have a relationship with? Do you make it up? You know, do, do we just come from the thin air? No, we have to know him in his word as he reveals himself there. And then finally, 
There's the appearance of His uh, coming of His glory. There's the firmness of His word. And then the coming of His uh, power and compassion. And really, parts A and B and C are the same thing. In other words, the coming of His glory is enlarged in, uh, upon on this section. The coming of His glory, that is His great power and compassion for us. And the, the section on the Word in the middle is kind of the pivot. It's really the base for it to say, hey, He is coming. He is coming. His Word will not fail. That's kind of the feel of this whole passage. But notice, get up to a high mountain. Speak loud and clear. Lift your voice with strength. Stand up so everybody can hear you. Don't be afraid. Jerusalem becomes the herald here to all the towns of Judah. And he says, make it unmistakable. Make sure she hears you. Give it all to them so that they can have it and treasure it and benefit from it. And he calls them the bearers of good news. The Greek translation of that Hebrew word is the word then that we get the, gospel, the word gospel in the New Testament. The, the good news used over 125 times in all of its forms in the New Testament. And here it is, the, the herald of good news. The good news of rescue, the good news of glory. And then specifically in verses 10 and 11, that the Lord comes with might and His arm rules for Him. But notice, that arm that rules for Him, the arm of power in verse 10, is the same word in verse 11. And He will gather the lambs in His arms. So it's an arm of power that's revealed, but it's an arm of power that will gather the lambs, that will gently lead those that are with young. He will carry them in his bosom. It's so intimate. It's so gentle and kind-hearted, all of this. And it says in his power, he will bring gifts with him, his reward and recompense that he has earned, that he has accomplished It will make the sufferings of the exiles vanish like a forgotten dream. So it will do for us as he brings the riches of his own son to us. Isn't that amazing that God comes with all of his power directed to our good, comes in all of his power with reward and recompense for us. We've done nothing. We've earned the opposite. We deserve death and judgment. And he's bringing all the storehouse of riches to to bear into our lives. And this this powerful one who will tend the flock is finally revealed as the Lord Jesus Christ who says in John 10 that I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for the sheep. So that his great power is directed to this end of accomplishing their salvation of being crucified for them. Notice how God exercises His supreme sovereignty and glory by sacrifice, tending His lambs, carrying them in His bosom. And so He is called in Hebrews the great shepherd of the sheep, where Peter says the chief shepherd. And brothers and sisters, it doesn't end in this life. In a description of the new heavens and the new earth, Revelation 7, 
They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The Lamb who was slain will be their shepherd. In a beautiful mixture of metaphors, this one who loves you so much that He would sacrifice for you will be your eternal shepherd, forever bringing you to living waters. It will never end. That is, that is the ultimate fulfillment of he will tend his flock like a shepherd. And let me just close with this. When John the Baptist was in his ministry, and this passage was associated with John, John used all of this in this way to say, prepare by repentance. Prepare by turning from everything else on which you depend and what you've given yourself to and give yourself fully to this Lord who is coming. It's kind of a a, a neat analogy, you know, to think of the hostile environment of our own hearts, how resistant we can be to His authority and commands, how resistant we can be to His promise and His blessing. And we're to lay down the weapons of our stubbornness and to welcome Him, to run out to greet Him, to lay down garments before Him, to embrace Him and adore Him, to bow before Him, declare to Him our allegiance and love, to submit to His comfort, to submit to His salvation, to submit to His grace. This is our comfort that we would then belong to Him. And it's not a cowering, resentful fear, not an angry submission, but like a joyful reception of this One who has done so much to win us to Himself. And so the hymn, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my heart. It is Thine own. It shall be Thy royal throne. May it be so more and more for each one of us. Let us pray. Lord, we praise you that you have rescued us, that you have died in our place. Lord, that you have brought your glory to bear in our lives. So that even Paul can say, he has shown in our hearts the glory of God in the face of Christ. That is how you show your glory, O God and the person and work of Jesus Christ. May we embrace that glory. May we rejoice in that glory. And, O Lord, as you say also, we are being made in the very image of that glory, being conformed to that glory so that we would as well begin to look more and more like Christ in our sacrificial love for one another and for the world. And so, indeed, as... Isaiah says later in chapter 60, Arise, your light has come. The glory of God has risen upon you, and the nations will come as they see it. Oh, Lord, how amazing that your glory could have arisen upon us and manifest itself even in our very lives as we more and more conformed to the beauty of your character. Oh, we praise you. 
for glory that will be forever in the presence of Christ. Amen.